Hello, everybody. Drasco here from 10knorm.com, where my main mission is to normalize six-figure incomes as the minimum wage for heart-centered entrepreneurs. How do I do this? Well, number one, through the 10K Norm coaching program, and number two, through the accompanying podcast that you are listening to right now. And both of these are here to help guide heart-centered entrepreneurs that are unable to hit consistent 10K months despite all the personal development work they've done to master their mind, master their offer, master their sales, and normalize 10K months in six months or less. And on today's episode, we have a Real Talk segment where I bring in a heart-centered entrepreneur on their way towards their own 10K norm, and we have some Real Talk about what's currently their biggest challenge towards building their 10K norm. And in that, we're going to explore who they are, why they do what they do, and then live on the call, I get to help them get in their own way on a challenge that they're currently experiencing towards their 10K norm. And today's guest, we have Liz Merrill, who is a mediator and a divorce coach with a specialization in high conflict and narcissistic relationships. She lectures regularly on high conflict divorce strategies and is a sought after speaker and podcast guest. Her understanding of the psychological and physiological reactions to trauma, conflict, anxiety, bring a holistic approach to her work uh, with families that are caught in the high conflict cycle. Um, and after her own litigious high conflict divorce, she saw the need for this holistic approach to divorce mediation, which included nonviolent communication skills, managing trauma, uh, the understanding of how personality traits and personality disorders create high conflicts in a divorce. And all in all, as I've described it, uh, we're talking to her prior to this recording, it's like humanizing this charged event of uh, divorce. So Liz, thank you very much for being here. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thanks for that nice um, introduction. I am um, happy to have a conversation with you. And I'm definitely curious to hear how, um, how, how you think about and how you coach people around this 10K norm, as you call it. Absolutely. And uh, I'm excited to dive into that. But honestly, before we even get to that, and I don't think I'm alone here, is I'd love for you to tell us more about, you know, and I was telling you this before we you know, press record, but, you know, what I know about, like, all the stereotypes about lawyers and especially divorce lawyers. I mean, I've heard it multiple times from people that I've known that have gotten divorced. It's like the only people that win a divorce are lawyers, right? Like that's like where all the money's funneled to and then everybody's hating on everybody. And it's just like this like hardcore charged event. And then when I was reading about what you do and how you do it and like nonviolent communication, which I think is such a blessing to all relationships in general to bring that into this world, uh, like I said at the beginning, is like to me, it just sounds like you're humanizing this very, you know, what can divulge into a very inhumane, um, yeah. you know, event. So I, I'd love to know how you got into that, how that came about, and uh, yeah, anything else you sure. want to share about that? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I can talk about myself forever. So you just stop me um, if I go too far off the um, <laughs> off the ranch. I. Um, I, I was in a very high conflict marriage for over 20 years. Um, and as it turned out, it was it was also pretty emotionally abusive. And then I had um, I have three daughters and they all came to me and they were like, Mom, 
we think we need to get divorced. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? I need to get out of this. And I, you know, I thought I was being brave and I thought I was being strong by trying to stay in this relationship. I thought that that was the right thing to do for, um, for my family and for my kids. And, and when they, when they told me that it was really like a kick in the gut. And I was like, you know what? I need to get divorced. I, 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 I am a chronic avoider of conflict, which is ironic since that's what I do now for a profession. But I, I realized I needed to put on my big girl pants, and get divorced. So I filed for divorce and it was horrible. It was really, really expensive. I had to take out a loan to pay for it. I'm still paying it back. And the hiring of two attorneys, although I needed an attorney, um, just really escalated the conflict. It made it a lot worse because attorneys are trained to be, um, they're trained to be, uh, to support one party, you know, and they're litigious and, and, and they can really escalate the conflict, um, into areas where it wasn't a problem before. And that's certainly what happened in my divorce. It took a really long time. It was really expensive. We had a bunch of extra professionals that got called in. Um, and I did mediation, which was horrible. Um, but that planted a seed in my head when I had that mediation, we got through it and I was like, that sucked. There was so much about that that sucked, not just the money. And I started researching and I started reading research and I started talking to people and I started talking to people in the legal profession. And I realized that it's not, it wasn't that way just for me. It was that way for a lot of people. Um, it can be prohibitively expensive. It can, it can, if you have children, it can make your relationship even worse moving forward into like post divorce land as co-parents and that is not good for your children at all and so i decided that i would um try to change it at least in my little community and see what i could do to offer services to people who are going through divorce who didn't want to spend an average of eighteen thousand dollars per person for a divorce who wanted to maybe spend less and maybe come out having a a working relationship with your ex spouse especially if you have children and i started looking at mediation because my mediation was so awful and what i realized was mediation is actually a wonderful thing it's it's two parties who are in conflict just coming together with a neutral third party and looking at solutions and trying to figure them out so that you don't have to go to a judge and have the judge make your decision for you and it can be really um it can be really healing actually so i went and got trained as a mediator and got trained as a coach and i start i again i, I can keep talking but i'm i'm, I'm wrapping up here soon because I, I want to get to the high conflict piece, because that was my experience. Um, I thought it was just me, but as I ta began talking to people more, I realized that a lot of people are in relationships with a high conflict person. They're in relationships with a narcissist or a borderline personality disorder, um, or just generally a high conflict personality, which is sort of like an umbrella term. And I, I realized that the court system is not set up for high conflict divorces 
at all. It's really hard to, um, it's really hard to find professionals who understand what that means exactly. Um, and who know how to address the specific issues that come with divorcing a narcissist, for example, because um, they're very specific. And, and, and if you are married to someone with narcissistic traits, it's not just you're married to an asshole, right? Or an entitled SOB or whatever. They're, they're, it's a real thing and it's on the rise. Media, um, narcissism rates are actually going up. Um, so, so in particular, people who are going through that, I do a lot of coaching because they come to me for mediation and I'm like, you, you're not going to be able to mediate with a narcissist. So, um, let me help you navigate your divorce and let me help you strategize and educate you on, on what this means and what to expect and how to talk to your attorney and how to prepare things for your attorney, how to present in court so that. Um, you have a, the best chance of a positive outcome for you and your children. So, wow, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. I think this is actually like super cool. I actually have a, a lot of uh, questions for you even before we dive into like your business, etc. So, uh, okay, I, I guess the the first clarifying question for me would be: so you like you were a lawyer prior to to doing this or you just like I, i'm gonna be okay so you just went into yeah. like mediation and you got trained yeah. in that, plus the coaching and yeah. plus all of like the understanding narcissism and all of those pieces yeah that's right okay got i it. mean i have i have worked um professionally as a college professor but in a different field for for a really long time and and um sort of my divorce really marked a lot the end of a lot in my life including my pretty much my former profession and the beginning of a new one and i just really have like immersed myself in um in training and education and in really doing a lot a lot of workshops with people and learning from them and hearing their stories so yeah absolutely so you, it's more like you you know you're, you're trained in the uh, school of life than, than yeah, yeah than totally yeah, absolutely yeah. I, I, my, my preference as well so <laughs> having been in both formal and life I, I would take the life any day so uh okay so that makes sense um and then what i would be curious to know more about is so and this comes up often and kind of potentially can bleed into the 10k norm part of the segment but oftentimes when we're experts in something, we will use terminology and things that are like technically correct, right? So like high yeah. conflict people, narcissism, et cetera. I have some idea of what that may be, but I don't actually know if it's reflective of the depth that you understand it. So mm -hmm. I think the first part, I would, I would love to know your kind of definition. How do you explain high conflict people or situations? How do you understand if you're in one and then same thing for narcissism as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Cause a lot of times you can be in a relationship with a narcissist and really not know what's going on. You just know that you are, you know, you're not happy, right? There's something wrong. There are red flags appearing every day as you go along. A high conflict personality is really kind of an umbrella term 
for for any number of different kinds of people and that can include people with personality disorders um that in, can include um, people who have substance abuse and often those coexist together they very frequently do or someone who has some other sort of mental illness or issue um treated or untreated and and a lot of times it involves somebody who's got some of all of the above or you know more than one issue and 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 so a high conflict person has has those tendencies or qualities um they they tend to see things in black and white they they are they tend to not be able to self-reflect they tend to um not deal with stress well um they tend to not have a lot of empathy and if if people are sitting there thinking well that sounds like a narcissist they're right um a lot of times some people people will use high conflict as a euphemism for narcissistic personality disorder um narcissists are really hard to um diagnose because the very nature of that disorder means that they don't think there's anything wrong with them and they're not likely to march themselves in to a shrink's office and say hey i think i'm a narcissist can you diagnose me they're no they're not going to do that so um so that's that's a that's that's something that makes it difficult to actually talk about people and classify them as a narcissist but according to the dsm they have to have five of nine traits and i don't have them all memorized but they include you know having a grandiose opinion of yourself um lacking in empathy um it's really kind of having black and white thinking being really threatened when somebody or something um, challenges their their view of themselves because i think it's generally assumed that and believed that that narcissists are that way because of something that happened to them when they were very young in early childhood and usually it's a parent with narcissistic personality disorder or borderline or having you know having that been modeled um in their early childhood and it comes from a so narcissism comes from a very deep fundamental um lack of self-worth um so and and the feeling of being unloved and so their psyche kind of creates this shield that is the narcissism that protects them from having to to consider that right because it's so painful like if you think that you mom doesn't love you that's too painful to acknowledge especially as a child so you have to create this sort of shield around you that that protects you and 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 that can manifest in lots of different ways including narcissism where you think everybody is stupid and you know better than anyone else and um you need people buying into that storyline that you've created and so there's a there's a whole lot of terminology around narcissism and if you do a cursory googling of it you will come up with just a ton of stuff because it's a real buzzword right now and there are lots of support groups around for people who are in relationships with a narcissist um even if it's not a diagnosable narcissist um people can have narcissistic personality trait disorder traits um 
So is that, did I clarify anything for you or did I muddle? No, you, you absolutely did. And it's like the, the, the perfect person to get divorced from. Like, how, how could that possibly be a, <laughs> like, a, like a hard thing to go through, right? Um, so yeah, I, I could 100% see the need for, because I think it's one thing to like require or need or want support around dealing, you know, with a narcissistic boss or a family member or, you know, some relationship thereof. But I think now when you're trying to sever it and there's resources at play, there's more identity threats mm -hmm. with regards to mm -hmm. kids. I could see how you would need the additional support of um, something like what you do, especially if the overall incentive is to, from what I understand what you do, not get lawyers involved or if they are involved to not need them as much, you're not bleeding as much money. It, yeah. It's an add-on, like it, it's, you, you know, you, you pay to save afterwards. Like Absolutely. Kind of totally. Yeah. Totally nailed it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when I talk to people, they're like, well, I already have an attorney and I'm like, I can help you save money even as you're paying me and an attorney because you know, going into an attorney's office to cry um, is very expensive. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or to rant about your ex there, there, you know, that's, that's why you have a divorce coach or, or a therapist is so that you can, you can, you can talk about that stuff. You can strategize. The thing about narcissists is they're very predictable. And that's one of the reasons why if you are divorcing one, it's a really good idea to have somebody on your team, like a divorce coach who is experienced with high conflict people or with narcissists because they um, they have patterns of behavior and when they are threatened in a divorce and they are threatened, right? This is, this is like, this is like a huge conflict. Um, they're, they're being pitted against, pitted against another person and, and, and that kind of litigious aspect of divorce really triggers narcissists into behavior like gaslighting, which I'm sure you've heard about, or, or projection. They all like accuse their partner of what they actually do. Like she's an alcoholic. She comes home drunk every, every day, even if she's not, do you know what I mean? So there are certain things that you see over and over and over again in divorces with narcissists. And it's really helpful to know what they are and to build a strategy based on that. Right. And to build communication techniques. Um, I'm busy. Yeah. No. Just excuse okay. me for one minute. Real life happening, you know? But... Yeah, real life happening. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as we All right. uh, okay, we're we're getting right, to take yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Look, this is this is the, the realness of the real talk segment, right? Like yeah. life yeah. happens. So that, yep. that's yeah, cool. I'm a single mom. I got all my kids <laughs> with me now. Um so yeah, you, you communication is a huge, huge piece to this. I mean, if you if you can get somebody to help you with the way that you respond to someone who's high conflict, you will save so much time and heartache and money. Um, and that takes work, actually, that's, that's not something that's easy to do. Because if you've been in a relationship with a high conflict person, or a narcissist, you, 
you are in a trauma bond with that person. And there's another, you know, buzzword or um, technical term that they use, but it's, it's, it's like almost having Stockholm syndrome. Um, And that's why a lot of people who are in these relationships can't see that they're in them. Um, And you develop patterns of communication, patterns of arguing, you develop these conflict cycles and the other part is not, going to willingly step out of them because that's what keeps you connected to them is like word salad arguments just continual you know like arguing things that don't even exist over and over again right yeah, that fuels the narcissist that yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 when you're divorcing that you need to know how to disengage from that right and then you need to know how to deal with them when they get pissed off cuz you're disengaging from them cuz that's that's a threat to them too so. That makes sense. It's kind of like, you know, and obviously I don't know your rates. I'm just throwing these numbers out uh, randomly, but it's like, okay, you're going to pay a thousand dollars so that you don't end up paying 3000 down the line. In addition to the peace of mind and sanity that you're going to get back by having somebody who is impartial and knows the patterns to, mm-hmm. to get you to navigate these things so you can get out of it quicker with less uh expenditures so that actually makes a lot of sense so yeah i mean that actually makes a lot of sense to me it's something new that like i haven't actually heard about something like this that's kind of why i'm taking a little bit of extra time to like dive into what you do and how you do it so now i'm curious um because this is you know obviously a needed thing what do you feel like is standing in the way of your 10k norm Good Lord. Um, where to start? I think part of it, you know, is probably what most entrepreneurs have, which is imposter syndrome, right? Like, um, who am I to X, Y, Z, right? Um, how, and I, you know, and also having people who call you who are in this desperate state and this real, I mean, I think a lot of people who you interview are are probably, if they're heart-centered, they're extremely empathetic. They really want to help people. They don't want to add to their their burdens. And so just getting past the point of saying, here's what I charge, you know, getting, um, getting comfortable with that and getting comfortable with asking what you are worth right um instead of apologetically saying oh well my rates are this but and then but or or uh, uh, trying to justify it do you know what i mean i think that's a big part of it um i think the sales aspect of it and i think that's related is is challenging um like i i talk to people all day long I have people calling me. I've got really good SEO on my website. So I have people calling me and it's trying, it's trying to get the, trying to give them support and get them to wanting more and then kind of closing it as it were. I don't like to use that term, but you know, like, how would you like to pay? When would you like to have another appointment? That kind of, that piece is hard for me. Um, Cause I just want to give my, stuff away in a way i don't want to but i end up doing that like oh that sounds awful well let me give you this resource and let me tell you here's a financial advisor you might want to talk to and here's you know here's a here's a bunch of resources um rather than 
if you want more, hire me, <laughs> you know? Okay. So that, that, that is fair. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So th those are some things. And then I think still just, you know, across the board, um, business owning, like just being a good entrepreneur, right? I mean, like all the things that go into that um, in places where I'm, I'm not good. I, you know, I talked about sales, but everything I'm doing, I'm doing by myself, right? So I had to learn how to build a website, had to learn how to do social media, had to learn how to create a Facebook ad, had to learn how to write marketing copy. I can write all day long. I can write academic papers. I can write grants. I can do all of that. But like writing as a marketer is tricky. Learning how to network, learning where to network, you know, learning how to, yeah, just that whole piece I, I still struggle with. Learning how yeah. to be a bookkeeper, I'm working on that now. Yeah, I mean, welcome to the wonderful world of entrepreneurship, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> where uh, you do get to experience all of those things, uh, 100%. So there's a few aspects that I wanted to dive a bit deeper into. Um, the first one being, if somebody is struggling with what you can help them with, but you don't help them, then fill in the blank. Ah, then they're gonna spend more money on their divorce. They're going to escalate. They're probably going to escalate conflict with their spouse. They might get support, you know, that that doesn't work as well for them. You know what I mean? They honestly, they might hire a mediator who's not as good as me. Because I am such a good mediator. So that is the completion of the statement from the perspective of the other, the person suffering. What about from your perspective? If I don't help somebody who's suffering with a problem that I can help them, then fill in the blank with regards to what's happening internally for you. Oh, well, obviously I'm not making any money. Um, that's a big piece. I'm not, um, I'm not building connections and community. Um, I'm not creating a referral. What about emotionally and mentally? Emotionally and mentally. Um, if I had to pass on somebody who I could help. What's happening yeah. emotionally and uh yeah, I guess it would depend on the person because sometimes I, I I know that I I um I could help them, but they're not ready. Um and I I it's it's you know, I I tend to like when that happens, I tend to sit and stew on it and like, man, what I wish they'd just hire me because I know I could help them and um, you know, feel bummed out. And not because of the the earnings loss, but just because I know that if they would let me get in, I could I could change their lives. You know, that's kind of a bummer. Um, and I try not to 
spend so much time, you know, crying over spilt milk or lost fish or whatever, you know, kind of um, phrase you want to use. But yeah, I mean, it's a big bummer. Sure. And you had mentioned it an earlier point that like, oh, like here are all these resources. Like I probably shouldn't like give you these because you're not paying me, but whatever, take them. I know you're paying and like do it. So what's the emotion and thought process that powers that? Um, well, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, multi-layered. On the one hand, I, I do have a lot of resources and I do um, want any conversation that I have with a potential client to be of service to them, right? Even if they don't hire me, I want them to have, to, to leave our conversation empowered with something, whether it's a piece of knowledge or, uh, you know, a resource of somebody else who can help them, you know, like I, I mentioned a financial advisor, I refer people to financial advisors a lot because that is not my field. And that's a really important aspect of divorce. Um, and what if you didn't leave them with uh, additional resources or value, then what would it say about you? I'm not sure what it would say about me, but I, um, I'm not sure I know where to go with this question. I mean, I, I, I it's, it's kind of a moot point because I do. Do you know what I mean? Are, are you somebody who is okay with other people not being okay? No, I mean, I want them to be okay. That's why I do what I do. Okay. And if they weren't okay in your presence, how does that make you feel internally? Oh, God, it makes me sad. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you a little story? Sure. Um, kind of related to this. I had a young girl call me about six months ago. Just sounded so young. And she's like, I'm married and I have like a bunch, like five children. I'm like, dang, she sounds young for five children. And she said, I, I, I think I want to get divorced. Um, but my husband told me that if I get divorced, he's going to take my children away from me. And um, we started talking more and it turned out she was, ma she was married to a pastor of a very extreme church. And this church under under her husband's um you know order or whatever had told her that she couldn't talk to her family anymore um and that her family was evil it sounds like her family was perfectly nice and they were like they were systematically separating her from her support they were controlling her they were telling her you know they were threatening her and i'm like um do, do you realize that this is this is an emotional abuse <laughs> and she's like is it and i'm like yeah and we had this this you know really delicate conversation and she was telling me stuff that was just like making my hair fly off my head it was so shocking and i'm like can i can i please help you and then i was absolutely giving her resources and i was telling her as much as i could um and, I'm, and, I, and she was, she never hired me. She never called me back. I, I followed up with her, but I don't think that she had the ability. Like, I think she might've wanted to, but she was so repressed um, and 
and so without free will and probably brainwashed that I, you know, I couldn't give her support. And that, that just, oh my God, that tore me up, you know, because, because I couldn't help her. And she, I, I guess she wasn't ready. And a lot of times people aren't ready, like I said, but, um, and I, I, I think she's not alone. I mean, that was a really extreme example, but a lot of the women that I talk to in particular are being stalked digitally by their spouses. So they don't even know if their phones are being tapped, which is a thing, or they're not free to email because they know that they're being creeped on, you know? So I, I know I totally went off on a tangent, but when you asked how I feel and I can't help people, it's, it, that's an extreme example of how I felt really, really torn up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess there's two reflections back on that. So number one is I actually agree with you that it is an extreme example. And it's a very unfortunate one. The fact that these things divulge to that extreme, I think is noble of you to want to help that. And to my second point, which is, I think your capacity to feel and to be empathetic and to sympathize and to, and to see the layers involved and to know what's possible on the other side for these. It's like you see the good that can come from all of this, uh, I, I think is pretty clear to like myself and to anybody listening, like the, the, the deep emotion and caring that you have for the work that you do, which is why there's propensity to help uh, as much as you possibly can. The reason why I asked specifically for your internal reaction to these things is if you are somebody who has a hard time being okay if others aren't okay, that's going to have very real ripple effects to the business that you're in. Mm. And to just dive a little bit deeper into that point, are there scenarios where other people not being okay and you leaving them to not be okay is actually beneficial for them? No, that's an interesting question. I'm going to have to sit and stew on it for a minute. Let me make sure I understood what you're saying. Are there situations where people can leave our conversation? So not even just leave, but are, I mean, potentially, like it's included in that. But is there, like, if somebody is not okay in your presence and you just allow them to be and not give them the resources mm. unless they're paying you obviously is there a scenario where that's actually beneficial to the individual involved? oh okay right so is it is it okay for them if i leave them without resources and, and not and not okay um well i I guess it would depend on how not okay they were. Do you know what I mean? If they were like, I'm not okay because I want more. I want more from her. Then, then that's one thing. If they're, dude, you're making me think too hard. <laughs> yep. um, let's see. You've stumped me. I, 
What's you the know, right answer? I don't know. Well, actually, there is no right answer. Oh, of course. Um, you know, just, you know, as always, it depends, right? Yeah. Here's the reason why I, uh, A, went in this direction, and B, why I think it's something. What struck me throughout the course of this whole conversation is like your default natural comfort zone is that of the compassionate giver, right? Like if, if you could prioritize giving and making sure other people are okay, I think that's where your natural propensity mm -hmm. is going to go, right. right? I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that is also the perfect match for somebody like a narcissist who tends to latch onto that and generally take as you described earlier on mm. in the conversation would that be accurate before I yeah go on? Mm -hmm. okay so even though it's a crappy you know tango to be in it is a perfect match you know like like the bully and the victim mm -hmm. while it's not a good thing they're perfect matches for each other right okay the reason why i bring this up is oftentimes people's strengths become their first distortions so what do I mean by that? Your strength is your capacity to be compassionate, be kind, be empathetic, understand, see multiple sides, right? It makes you a good mediator. The distortion of that is I can only be okay when other people are okay around me. Oh, okay. that's so deep. It's so true, though. Look at you. I mean, it's not my first rodeo as well. So yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. the reason why I bring that up is, and, and why I ask, like, is there scenarios where people not being okay actually serves their highest good? So mm -hmm. if your resources aren't being asked for, but you're volunteering them anyway, if people aren't showing the commitment that they actually want change versus just relief, mm -hmm. then your discomfort in not having other people being okay is actually further enabling and perpetuating the circumstances that produce the victimhood of the other. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And they are bred from the distortion of your major strength, which is your compassion. Because sometimes the most compassionate thing you can do is yeah. unfortunately let people fall as yeah. much as they want to fall until they realize they actually are empowered to get up. Yeah. Your focus needs to be on filtering the people who are empowered to get up and you are their accelerant, their support system, mm -hmm. their, their guideposts to it. But everything outside of that is actually just playing into the distortion of your core quality, which is yeah. the care. So before I go on, how does that link? That it's great. I mean, that's such a great insight. I, I think you really nailed it. Um, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to sit with that for a while, but it's true. I mean, and, and it's, you know, and I see this every day in um, playing out in different ways. Like for example, with my children, right. I, um, I don't like to see my children suffer. Um, sure. And I don't like, I don't like it when they're unhappy. And if there's something going on, like that requires a consequence or that has a natural consequence, 
if I don't let them suffer that, then they don't learn, right? They, they don't, um, they don't develop. So you have to obviously as a parent, get comfortable with letting your kids sit in their own shit, <laughs> you know, and watching it and being like, uh, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's don't exactly, have to be like that. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly where, where I was going with that's exactly the same sentiment. And when like part of creating your 10k more the internal piece is going to be you know first working through the discomfort of saying no when you would normally repeat to say yes mm -hmm. and then transcending that part of yourself that honors the gift that you have which is what makes you that good mediator listener compassionate individual but coming from that aspect not in i have to rescue everybody because then i can be worthy of that gift but coming at it as this gift is so precious and I'm going to honor it only to the people that demonstrate that they can actually do something with it. Yeah. Because you are not in the relief business. You are in the change business. You're in yeah. the business of somebody committed to, like I said before, and again, I don't know your rates, et cetera, but it's, you are committing and you've shown me that you want to pay a thousand dollars so that you don't spend three and also that you get out of this with the least amount of headache possible, right? Mm -hmm. That is working with an individual who wants change, who wants resolution, who wants the accelerant of like out of this shitty situation that they're in. Okay. Yeah. So number one, internally to continue to filter out and see those people or extract, like, as you mentioned yourself, like they're going to go and hire a mediator who is probably crappier than I am. I yeah. agree with you. But that's because your main perspective is always, how do I give so I can feel worthy mm. as opposed to come from the space of, I already am worthy. This is yeah. what I bring to the table, take it or leave it in a loving way, right? Not right. in a malicious way. So right. yeah. that's number one. And then number two, in that similar vein, when you're giving away all of this stuff, how much is it really worth? Um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I think well, it's it, worth it, exactly what they paid for it, which is zero. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that's the more brutal yeah. answer in that case, right? Unasked for resources that are delivered to me, not only in some way disrespect my free will and honor my capacity to want to rise up. Right. But it's like if I'm not asking for and showing any interest in that change versus relief and I'm throwing resources to change. All I'm really doing is cheapening the resources of change. So I'm not even realizing that that's what they are. And I'm receiving the fact that, you know, I'm a charity case. This is the only way that I can actually get improvement, mm -hmm. not actually helping anybody level up. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you're actually stepping up into a space of i don't even value what i have because i'm so willy-nilly willing to give it away for free right right so you see how again it's a perfect match for individuals that want the relief and not the change you are enabling them because you fundamentally consciously or not like i aren't really valuing what you support why because you're not honoring your gift in its fullest expression so again before i continue how does that weigh? Yeah, well, it's kind of uh, 
um, Oh, the word I'm thinking is brutal, but I don't, I don't really, that's too extreme a word, but yeah, I mean, it's like, well, kind of knocking me back on my heels a little bit, like, well, shit, I never thought about it that way, but that, that is a really profound, um, perspective. Absolutely. Um, it's just a completely different way of looking at things, right? that I really hadn't um, hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> number one. Uh, number two, right? This is kind of the value of having that, right? It's literally the same thing, but now shined on to you that you do for your clients, which is mm -hmm. you have that outside perspective that isn't caught up in the day-to-day -day emotions and baggage that, that come along with these things so that mm -hmm you can see the problem for what it really is, mm -hmm. right? So that's why it's easier for me because hey, I've seen this many times through yeah. client work and through myself and it shows up in the most compassionate of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're always the ones doing the rescuing never really doing the work to rescue themselves, mm -hmm. right? So part of your path towards a 10K norm on the internal side of things, is going to be like you mentioned healing at the beginning this is where your healing is going to lie right how do i honor the inherent worthiness in myself work from desire to actually help the people that want to be helped and do it through the fullest honest ownership and expression of my biggest gift which is the compassion that i do have but in a way that actually is monetized from love Right, because that you, you do what? this like that is monetized from a sense of love, not from a mm -hmm. sense of I need to pay my bills. Because mm -hmm. then you're just mm -hmm. distorting your gift from lack, as opposed to building it up from like look at the like again, pay a thousand dollars to save three thousand dollars. That 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 is a very good exchange of value. Anybody would yeah. write uh, like a blank check for those kinds of returns, right? Yeah, but it first has to start from you owning that that is what you do, that it's okay to put a monetary value to your compassion, mm. and then the actual and this is where you begin to separate the worthiness piece, which we kind of touched on now. Yeah, with the actual skills piece. How do I put that into, you know, the messaging that filters out the people that want change versus relief? How do I sell in a way that honors myself and the other person stepping up to do this, right? How do I contribute to the embodiment that this is worth as much as I say that it's actually worth, mm -hmm. right? So you got yeah. the mechanics of the skill of doing the business stuff, mm -hmm. repeated, finessed with the proper feedback loops to get it to that point where it really hits critical mass, separated from the worthiness piece which you work on to heal yourself. And then there's the overlap and the combination of those that I think makes this a no brainer for this to be your 10K norm because it's such a needed thing in, in what you do. So anyway, I know I went on tangent now. How does all that? No, work? it's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, I wonder like how, how I mean, is that, I should have listened to more of your podcast to, to hear, you know, how this goes with other people. 
I mean, is this sort of like what you generally find is the case is, is like, is this like in the same way that I see patterns all the time with the people that I work with, or, or do you see the similar pattern? 100%. The, yeah. the, the details are unique and specific to the individual in front of me, 100%. But this general pattern of, you know, the I am not good enough, and it's many masks, right? Yeah. You mentioned imposter syndrome, you mentioned uh, fearing sales, uh, deserving, can't say no, all of those, like, mm. fundamentally speaking, if you just believed the truth, that we fundamentally all know on some level that we are enough, yeah, none of those things would matter, right? Like, it, they would really all dissipate, right? So it's, it's more about the masks that we wear, that really fundamentally are rooted in I'm not enough. Can I tell you something? I just interrupt you really quickly. I am writing a book called About Face that's about the masks that we wear. Okay. That's really interesting that you said that. There you know, that's a (laughs) synchronicity right there. But uh, yeah, yeah, it really does always come down to some mask of I'm not enough. Mm. right that's always a distortion on the inner part and then the opposite of it that i'm bringing to your attention now and that we dive into in detail the 10k norm program is okay well if i wear masks of i'm not enough and it's expressing itself in ways that hinder me from creating my 10k norm well what's the opposite of that well it's actually the faces of authentic expression so Mm. in your instance it's your kindness, compassion, like all of those qualities that we talked about, it's authentic expression is one in strength, right? That, that's its authentic face. You don't have to hide behind anything. It's like, yeah, I am a compassionate, healed individual. And in this context, that is tremendous value, right? So yeah. it's showing up as the positive aspect of that. And then the other part of it is the skill set. Like right now, you don't have the skill set to sell, to, to message, to pre-qualify, to, to filter, to create the offer that works, right? Mm. Have any, you know, in the sales bid, what are, how do you handle those objections, et cetera? Like th- those are all skill sets that we can build that have nothing yeah. to do with our inherent um, worthiness. Mm-hmm. But then they get distorted in that we use them as another mask to justify why we're not mm-hmm. worthy of having the things that we want. Oh, I'm crappy mm-hmm. at sales. I can't possibly do sales. I can't ask for money. I can't make an offer that works. They're going to go with somebody else. Those are all just mm-hmm. aspects of like, if I had that skill set, I could do these things. And then when I combine it with the authentic expression of who I really am, that's when you get the accelerant that, as I said at the beginning, which is my mission with this podcast and the actual program, what you end up creating is a new standard that is a six-figure accepted minimum wage for heart-centered entrepreneurs because all of me goes into it with the appropriate skill set and that's kind of what you get at the end so again long answer to your question but uh, yeah does that answer it so like how many people do you work with do you think that um so we've been talking about like someone's sense of worthiness right and and like i actually have a pretty strong sense of of my worthiness i I feel confident in 
you know, what I can offer people and who I am and what I do. And, you know, just in general, I feel pretty freaking worthy. Um, and there's this other piece that's um, another layer um, of like, well, what if other people don't think I'm worthy or what do I need to do to prove that I'm worthy? Right. Okay. So pause um, right there. Right? Sure. Yeah. I inherently know, like, I, I, I'm in a, I, I feel the worthiness of like what I'm doing and what I'm capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that is true, where do you need to prove it to other people? I understand the logic of that question and I can't answer it. I don't know because like even in my, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, so you know, like even in my last pro profession, I was like, I was, you know, very, um, I was at the, you know, at the top of my game, right? And there was still like, uh, if I fuck up, then, you know, they're going to know or they're going to think I suck or, I mean, like, where does that come from? I don't know. So like, what to I know bring... that you're good, but also to be like worried that people think you suck. Yeah. So What's that about? actually, that's a great question. And what I would bring to light in your instance, the distinction between skilled and worthy. Mm, okay. Go so, on. Well, actually, so how do how do you hear that when I say it? What what stands out for you? I'm skilled or I'm worthy. So I guess I would have to ask you, like, in turn, what do you mean when you say worthy? Great question. So I don't think you doubt your skill, mm -hmm. both in your academic profession and in what you do right now. You're like you said, you're highly skilled. You're like, everybody's going to hire other people, you know, that they aren't as skilled as me. They aren't as good as me. So you inherently believe and are confident in your skill set. But if the value that I inherently bring to that, I'm willing to just throw it away for free, give it to whoever I feel like needs it. I'm looking for validation, consciously or unconsciously, that mm. other people see that value, then it really comes down to the worthiness piece for you specifically, is you don't value the you that harbors the skills. Hmm. I need the other, if I give them enough stuff, maybe they'll see my worth and then they'll hire me. Or maybe you could just ask, for what you know you're inherently worth and let them decide mm -hmm. what they can do. Because ultimately, if they're gonna be willing to spend three times the amount to get divorced, they can find the money somewhere. Yeah, right, yes, this is true. But that, that is the, the logical reason for it. Yeah. But the emotional reason for it is if fundamentally I need the validation, the proof, the distinction from the external to give permission to the skill set that I have, then it's not the skill set that's the problem. It's my perception of the me that harbors the skill set and how much that person is worth. Right. I under now I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I mean, in in in, in talking about me personally, um, on the one hand, that lands nice and square, 
And on another hand, it's like, actually, I do feel like I'm worthy. So now I'm, I, I, I do. And maybe it's like, as you said, maybe there's a subconscious like feeling of unworthiness in there. And I'm willing to accept that all kinds of stuff goes on subconsciously, including like feelings of unworthiness, which, you know, is probably where a lot of anxiety dreams come from. Um, you know, honestly. And what I would say to that is like, you know, while the specific statement or semantics might not be a hundred percent accurate, like we're in the ballpark, I think that that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just then comes down to, you know, especially like say in the container like this, where it's just okay, like we have like one episode and like this is what we've discovered, and like you can see, I need to look here. There is something worthwhile looking. Mm -hmm that's fine, right? Like your sense of worthiness might not be as I have defined it within this short context, but it's certainly related to asking for money and, and putting money to the worthiness that you feel like you have on some level. There's a big disconnect there. Now, yeah. what the specific wording, syntax, you know, uh, phrasing of it is, I, I don't know. And it's, I would say, outside the scope of like this like particular sure. episode, but it's, if it was fundamentally true in that I embody that worthiness hundred percent, you'd have no problem asking for money. You wouldn't give away your things, right? Like the, now is the results that yeah. tell a different story. And that's kind of the part that I'm illuminating to here because it yeah. oftentimes does happen. The people I speak to most are always the hidden gems. They're so good at what they do, but the world is at a disservice because they're not in a position to step up to actually do it. Right. Yeah. From that skills perspective on the business side, to the embodiment of the success on the inner side, right? Now, to dive the, into that deeper, again, it's outside the scope of this, but that's ultimately the results don't lie there, right? Like success leaves clues, but so does non-success, right? Yeah. And this is just one element to illustrate that. So does that kind of uh, clear that up a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. And I have, um, I have, something that's been kind of like floating around in my head if it's okay if i bring it up and ask you um and it has to do with money like specifically um and i i am sure that you have a lot of um a lot of thoughts on this and i'm sure that this comes up with with all of all of the people that you talk to but like everyone has a different money history right everybody has a different relationship with money and um from their family of origin and just how they've grown up like what what's a thousand dollars to you is it worth you know it's worth different things to different people i would think um and how does that come into play in this in this context of what we're talking about and worthiness um and how does it how does it how does that aspect of it, like your money history, your relationship with money, play out in this context of what we've been talking about? That so that's one question I have for you. And another question is um, is really a little bit outside of that, but it's about the 10k number because I hear that all the time. Like, who's had a 10k month, and and, and what is it about 10k that brings coaches? That, that, that coaches are excited about or use, what does that represent? 
Fair enough. So two great questions. So on the first one, I would say you're 100% right. Money stories come up all the time. And I would put that in the category of the deeper detail of what we identified earlier, right? Which is, I feel worthy and I'm confident in my skill set, but then there's some sort of disconnect when it comes to making money with it and, and, and charging the right price and what I'm worth, et cetera. So yeah, in that space somewhere is certainly going to be a, a money story because this is really, at a broader sense, a issue of receiving and the worthiness to receive. And as givers, we're more comfortable giving rather than receiving. Mm-hmm. One of the ways we count how much we receive is through money. Yeah. So in this instance, when you look at your results, how much I'm willing to receive is directly proportional to how much is in my bank account. So obviously that's going to translate back to the, uh, the money story. So I know it's kind of a non-answer to your question, uh, but just within the context, of this container, it was more about yeah. like illuminating the major thing. So by all means, if you want to dive into that further, you know, offline, I'm more than happy to. But this was more about seeing the broad picture sure. yeah. and orienting ourselves. Okay, for people that hear and see themselves in it, this is a good place to look. We've just kind of given it an outline of how it manifests for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the second question, Yes, I agree with you. There is this like magical, you know, 10K number, which is kind of why I branded myself that way. Um, I, I have my own reasons with regards to like why I went down that road. Some simple, some not. But I think what's more important in the way that I handle the 10K norm and like materializing that in six months or less is like I am agnostic to how you need to do that, meaning. Your 10K norm is your 10K norm. I don't care if you want to work with one client a month that you charge 10K for, you want to work with 10 that you charge a thousand. It's, I, I'm not one of those coaches that's like, well, you just need a webinar. And like, yeah, if you go on the webinar, you'll do this. Like, if you like to do webinars, cool. If you don't, we'll, we'll figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. But people are often blinded to it, um, you know, by kind of like, I have to do it this way. So that's one aspect, but the deeper answer to your question is, I define 10K norm when I work with people by what actually lights them up. If, if their desire that's going to move them towards that higher version of themselves, it's not on me to define what that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to define it, it's on me to help guide you there. But that's a completely different story altogether. So does that you know, a- answer at least to in part your question? Yeah. Yeah. So the, my first question about, about like money stories, I, I, yeah, it wasn't really a question, I guess, as much as like, here's a thing. Um, yeah, let's, let's just acknowledge it and, and talk about it a little within the scope of what we're doing here. Um, and then the second one is, yeah, I, I mean, that was not, it, I'm just curious because be, like, what's, why is that a magic number? You know, I mean, and for me, it would be magical if I could make $1,000 a month, right? I mean, I'm literally making almost no money and I'm certainly everything that I'm making, I'm pouring back into my business. So, so yeah, I mean, I get that that's a, that that's like a wonderful goal that would be incredible. Um, Absolutely. And that's kind of like, with regards to like my reasoning, you know, that is why I, Hey, the domain name was available. And I thought it was good. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. kind of like the practical reasons, but how I got to even search in that domain name is 
that milestone, I think, is the first milestone that hearts, well, any entrepreneur, but especially in this instance, like when you hit that milestone, you now have options available to you. It means you, you've mm -hmm. proven your offer, you, you've proven your commitment to reach out and build up with that audience or do whatever you need to do to actually get it. You've learned the skills of honoring you know, yourself, navigating your own emotions through it, embodying that mm -hmm. you've gotten to it. Now you have options, right? You want to stay there and just like live life there. Cool. You, you now have all the skill set. Your life can be comfortable. You have more options. If you want to begin to scale and build a team and do all of the other business things, that is the first milestone to hit to be able to mm -hmm. do those things. So for me, yeah. both in my previous businesses and uh, in general, that was like the milestone that gives yeah. me the freedom to choose where it is that I want to go. So that's a bit of a And what was your previous business? Uh, so I owned a brick and mortar weight loss center for 10 years, uh, closed that down at the date of 2020, moved into uh, doing online funnels and marketing for um, other online coaches and then oh. realized I, it's one thing, like I don't want to really build an agency, like I'm making good money here, but it's not what I want to do. Want to get back into coaching. I did a whole lot of my own personal healing in that time and then decided on like, this is really now the purpose that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Just combining all of the coaching work, all of the inner work with the skill set of marketing that I have into 10k norm so that's kind of my path through this whole yeah. thing so yeah anyway that's uh about that so i just want to be conscious of time and uh if the big picture um kind of makes sense to you and it feels complete we can certainly close it off here uh, if there's something outstanding we can certainly address it so how do you feel with regards to everything um i feel good i mean i honestly i feel like i could talk to you for, you know, we, we could find stuff to talk about all day um, because you have a lot of really great insight. Do you know what I mean? And I can tell that you've done a lot of, a lot of work um, to get to where you are with that insight. And it's, um, I, I think what you're doing is, uh, is really cool. And I think that doing this podcast and allowing other people to listen to it um, and, and reflect on their own, like where they are in relation to what we've just talked about would probably be super duper helpful. So, well, thank you. Cause that's so that good job. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, the essence of it. So I appreciate the fact that it has uh, surfaced. So definitely thankful to you to coming on, having this conversation, allowing me to do what I do. Um, so then just close it off. Um, why don't you let everybody know, you know, What's the best way to contact you? Who's the best person to contact you? All that good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll close it off with that and uh, the floor is yours. Sounds good. Okay, people can find my website at www.openspacemediation.com. And you can email me at liz at openspacemediation.com. And those are probably the best ways to find out more about what I do and how you can work with me and what kind of free resources I have available on my website. And um, yeah. Awesome. I, yeah. Well, we're going to include all those resources uh, in the show notes. Obviously, people will have uh, access to that. 
Uh, but yeah, I just want to thank you for uh, coming on, having a great conversation, a lot of insights, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. This was fun. Awesome. No problems. And for everybody else, we'll uh, see you guys on the next one.